Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha. We're going to have an interesting conversation today with Susan Combs, who is the author of Pancakes for Roger. And I highly recommend the book because I I just finished reading it and it was a joy to read. Roger was your dad and this story is just amazing. And the advice in the book is good, like for anyone, anytime. So I I love that. I kept thinking, oh, that's a neat way to think about things. So (laughs) (laughs) that's good. Thank you. I appreciate it. Would you, uh, could you introduce yourself to us and tell us a little bit about the book and why you wrote the book? Sure. Um, So my name is Susan Holmes. Um, It depends on the day on what hat I'm wearing, but (laughs) I own insurance brokerage in New York City. Um, So we're a brokerage and I also work uh, a lot as an expert witness throughout the country on some kind of complex uh, cases on the insurance side. And so that's, that's kind of fun. But then uh, recently I'm a, a best-selling published author. So that's kind of cool in its own right. And so that, you know, the book, I mean, I think the book for me was really like a, a healing process because I, I lost my dad about, I guess, three and a half years ago, a little bit more than three and a half years ago. And he passed away from Agent Orange related throat cancer. And I was extremely close to my father. And I think anybody that goes through a loss, um, as I know you're familiar with, it can, it can just shatter your world. I mean, it can just change every, and it it changes you as a person. It changes the fabric of who you are. And I think that, you know, after my father passed, I went into, you know, fixer mode and project mode because I stepped into a lot of the roles that he was currently fulfilling in our family. And, um, so I, I just kind of put my head down and, and just plowed through and, you know, I didn't get to completely, I guess, go through the grieving process, so to speak. And people in my office during COVID were doing creative things and somebody started a podcast, somebody started a YouTube show. And I said, well, why the heck can I do something creative too? So I decided I had people after me to write a book for a while, um, because I kind of throw out some of these quotes, um, in my everyday life and people, you know, I had a lot of people that said, you should, you should really write a book. You should really do that. So when I publicly speak, I've always ended my talks with unsolicited advice and kind of fun quotes, um, that I've gotten along the way and, and share a little, able to share a little bit about those people. And I always thought that would be a cool premise for, for a book. So when I decided to write the book, I thought my dad was just going to be a chapter. I thought each one of my mentors, each lesson was going to be a chapter. And I was just going to kind of expound on that. But then my dad kind of, as the general did, he kind of took it over. <laughs> so um, it was very much healing for me. I mean, I I wrote on a weekly basis and I ugly cried every single week. And I really think that that um, allowed me to give a tribute to him, but also to help with healing for myself as well. I I find that so much. I I started writing. I didn't start writing my book after my um, husband's died, but I started writing for me to just be figuring things out and exploring my feelings and what do I do now? And I just think writing is so therapeutic in in such a situation. And I I kind of felt that with, with reading your book that I thought, boy, she must've felt so good (laughs) to to get all this down. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I wrote, I'll tell you, I wrote a lot on the airplane. Um, mm. So the, the year leading up to my father passing, I mean, I was on, I was on 54 flights in a year <laughs> and it was, it was a lot. I mean, a lot of that was running back to Missouri to help care for my father and then just my other work commitments. But I, I find, and I still, to this day, I write on the plane a lot because I, it's, it's my time. I mean, nobody can come into my office. Nobody can call me on the phone. It's just a time for me to kind of focus. So even though, yeah, I'll, I'll watch some trashy TV and a movie on the, you know, on the airplane too. It, I always try to put in a solid hour or two of just writing and kind of explaining things. So, you know, kind of to your point leading up to my, my father's passing, I was able to write for some magazines and really kind of share some of the process of being a caregiver and things that I had learned from my dad before he passed. And it was just kind of a reminder to, for people that, you know, are destined to become in my shoes at some point in time and kind of giving some advice that I wish I had known before I was in the seat. I think so many of us live in a constant state of denial that, yeah, that happens to somebody else, but it's not going to ever happen to me, <laughs> even yeah. though we know that it's going to happen to each one of us, uh, usually multiple times. So it was, as I read it, I was thinking that, gee, this this is so nice to hear. It's so nice to think about. It's so logical and, and everything you have is so helpful. And since it's pancakes for Roger and Roger's your dad, could you tell us a little bit about your dad and then then why it turned out to be pancakes for Roger? Sure. So my my dad had um, he had two full time careers all all during my life. So my father served in the armed forces for thirty nine years and four months. So he was originally a Marine Corps helicopter pilot, and then he was in the Army National Guard after um, getting out of full time. Uh, marine life and because he continued to fly helicopters there. And then he transitioned over, I believe it was in the early eighties to, um, to the air force. And so ultimately he retired as a two-star general, but in his civilian life, he was also a circuit judge. So my dad was one of those guys that he, I mean, he had big careers and he was very well known in his career path. Um, but he always stayed humble to his roots and he always stayed grounded and connected to where I grew up in, 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 teeny tiny town in Missouri. So I, my father was literally born on the farm six miles from where I, I grew up in a small town called King city, Missouri. And so my town that I grew up in was 986 people. And so it was an area that my father had grown up in. And so, you know, my, my father was one of those guys that he was just good when nobody was watching. And one of the things that I learned through his passing is you know, I knew he was good. I knew he was great. He was my dad, but how, how many people just really respected him and really valued his lessons that he taught them, him, you know, these people and the mentorship. And so, so many people reached out to me after he passed and said, oh my gosh, I just, I have a story for you about your dad. And so, you know, what that did for me is when I've known somebody that's had a loss and I have a story about their loved one, I always remember to share it because I know how much it means to me when people still today share those stories with me. And I think sometimes, I mean, kind of what you said earlier about we're all going to be in the seat and, you know, nobody gets out unscathed. Right. And I think sometimes it's, it's a secret club. I mean, I call it the dead dad's club and it's a secret club. You never want to join. You never know about it until you're inducted. And you know, it's one of those things that I think you can sympathize, but I don't think you can truly empathize until you've been in the seat. I agree with you there. I know when when my 
dad died, I was I was born late in my parents' life. And so all of my friends my age were were not losing their parents yeah. at the time that, that I was. And so he and he died very suddenly. And I I just didn't have anybody at that point to talk to about it because none of none of my peers had been through the experience yet. And, and and that was a challenge. It's really nice to find people that have have uh, had that experience, so that you can relate and see that that what you're experiencing is is okay. My my dad was a, a veteran, and he was uh, very active in the veterans of foreign wars, and was the state commander of the of California. Oh, wow. um, so it was it was kind of a big deal. He was really, really involved in, in yeah. serving veterans has always been a big part of our life. And so I was very interested with with what some of the proceeds from your book go toward. Could you tell yeah. us about that? Sure. So Pancakes for Roger. So the t- full title of the book is Pancakes for Roger, a mentorship guide for slaying dragons. So it's a, it's a bit of a mouthful. But so um, part of the proceeds of the book uh, in perpetuity will go to the University of Missouri School of Law Veterans. Clinic. So this is a clinic that I've gotten involved in since my father's passed, and they provide free legal services to veterans and their families navigating the VA claims and appeals process. So if you've ever been involved there, I mean, it can be arduous. And um, I mean, there was one week after my father passed that I logged 14 hours on the mm-hmm. phone um, in one week with with the VA with you know, Department of, of Veterans Affairs in Arlington. And it was just, I remember on a Friday, I talked to one of my brothers and I just kind of recanted my my week. And he said, well, is there anything I can do? And I, I said, well, not now. I, I did my hands <laughs> But, you know, and so, and where the whole like premise from Pancakes for Roger comes from is it, it's it's kind of become a movement. Some people that, that may be listening have been caregivers and they've realized, you know, what it means when somebody has a feeding tube or somebody's on oxygen and, um, and some people don't. So if you've never encountered that, I mean, if somebody's on a feeding tube, that's how they get their nutrition. And if they're on oxygen, if their oxygen levels get too low, then there can be some confusion. So my father and I had a very uh, regimented schedule. Um, I moved from New York City back to Missouri for the summer to help care for him before he passed. And he and I, I mean, I get up for the gym, for the gym, I check on him, I go to the gym, I come back, check on him, shower, check on him, and then we off to the races for the day, so to speak. And um, one morning I was coming down from the shower after being at the gym and he was sitting at the table and he was, he had set the table and I looked at him. I said, well, dad, what are you doing? And he said, well, he said, I I want pancakes for breakfast. And I looked at him and it just, it broke my heart because this is a man that had a feeding tube for a year and he never once complained uh, about not being able to eat with the family. And I, I knew that for him to ask that it meant that his oxygen level was low and he was having some confusion that day. And I said, Oh, dad, I said, there's nothing more I want to do than give you some pancakes. But I said, we, you know, you got a feeding tube and you're on hospice and we have a a DNR. And if you choke, we're done here. And I just don't think we're quite ready to be done yet. And he looked at me and he said, Oh yes, I can. Matt said I could. And that's my brother's nurse. And he wasn't there that day. So I knew we were dealing with some confusion. And so I looked at him, I said, well, let me see what I can do. And so I heated up his tube feeding formula because he always wanted to heat it up for 14 seconds, never 13, never 15, always 14. The general wanted 14 seconds. So that's what he got. (laughs) And so I put it on the table and he said, what's that? And I said, well, there's your syrup. And so his oxygen levels kind of started rallying around and he looked at me and he just kind of smiled, resigned. 
And he said, okay. And so after he passed away, I shared that story with people. I mean, I shared and it was just heartbreaking for me um, at first. And after my father passed a few weeks later, I came back to New York and I took one day off work. And my husband said, let's go to the diner and have some pancakes for your dad. So that's where the whole kind of idea and the premise behind Pancakes for Roger came from. So my husband took a picture. We shared it on social media. I told the story and said, hey, so if you're so inclined, go have some pancakes for Roger because he can. And so it's just an easy, quick reminder to remember you know, all about the little things, because the little things in life are what add up to be the big impactful things in your life. So we started that kind of as just a story to share around. And then it turned into every February, his birthday's February was February 22nd. So every February for the month of that goes on there for every pancake loving picture we get on social media with people using the hashtag pancakes for Roger, my company makes a donation to the veterans clinic in his honor. So it's been really cool. I mean, the first year, I think we got like, you know, we got 50, hundred pictures and then it's kind of grown. And then this past year we, um, we got all 50 States and we got 18 countries. So it's really wow. been so, so cool. And I mean, people are just, I mean, people are tagging people, their cousin in Idaho saying, go have pancakes, do it for veterans. You got to get it done. And so that's you just that when my dad kind of took over the book, it was just obvious what the title needed to be because of the movement that we had started a few years prior just to honor our veterans and to, you know, help the, the clinic out along the way as well. That's so wonderful. I know the challenge it is for, for veterans with paperwork and trying to get things done. I had a couple of, of close relatives that had the challenges with, with the military. It, records got lost and it took forever to get anything. And it, neither one of them ultimately ended up with what they should have had because we just couldn't, they couldn't find any records. So, yeah. Well, one out of 14 veterans pass away during the process. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the stat. It's ridiculous. And, and well, and also too, I mean, my father had a claim and his claim took three years and we thought that was horrendous. And then I started working with the veterans clinic and they showed me on the VA website that they showed that on average claims take seven years. And so, so they were, they thought it was amazing. My dad got his done in three years, but I mean, it's, it, it's too long. I mean, these are men and women that have, have given everything. And sometimes, I mean, I mean, like my father, my father passed away because of, of, what he was gifted with, yeah. with the military. So I, I do think that a lot of times, I mean, as you get older too, I mean, the paperwork is just arduous and it's very confusing. And, and sometimes it's, you check the wrong box or you don't understand what they're wanting. And then it keeps getting kicked back for more information. And then also too, if you're working with a doctor and say they're a civilian doctor, they don't understand that the letters that need to be written have to be done in a certain format to go through the process. So, you know, a lot of times people think, oh, you have to be a University of Missouri alumni or have to have a connection there to be able to take advantage of, of the work they're doing. And that's not true. You just have to find them. So a lot of times people ask me like, well, are there other veterans clinics out there? And of course, so um, Syracuse and the University of Missouri are kind of known as, as being the most successful um, and, and you know, getting benefits. I mean, the University of Missouri one has been around since um, 2014 and, and they've brought in over $10 million in back pay for veterans. Wow. I mean, it's been incredible the work that they've done, wow. but I always tell people to contact your local university 
I mean, you know, usually it's probably not going to be like a smaller community college, but, you know, university that's large enough to have a law school, they might have a veterans clinic. So I always tell people to reach out locally first if you can. And then if you can't, I mean, people can go on to the website, pancakesforroger.com and they can shoot me a message and I can connect them to the right people as well. That's so wonderful. I, I think a lot of people don't get the benefits that they should because they just don't know how to go don't about know. it. You don't know what you don't know. I mean, especially if like, say the veteran is, is ill. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then you're dealing with civilians that just, they don't even, they don't know what a DD-214 is. You know what I mean? And they just don't even know what they're supposed to do. So that's, I mean, but there are a lot of great advocacy programs out there that will help families and help the veterans, but you just have to be able to, to get to the right one for you. And that's so true. And I, I hope people that are listening to this, if you know somebody who, who is a, a veteran and having a challenge or, or just never got around to doing anything mm-hmm. about it because they couldn't figure out how, uh, do something, you know, <laughs> check this out yeah. and, and see, because things can be done. I, I just think it's so tragic when people don't get what they're entitled to for what they did, especially when they've been serving our country. Yeah. Well, I mean, even like when my father passed away, I mean, I've been very fortunate that, I mean, I I grew up around so many military people and and they have a big part of my heart. And, you know, I, I sat down and I had the tough conversations with my father before he passed. And so I have spreadsheets. I mean, my dad even told me who the plumber was, who to call to sell the Winnebago to. I mean, I have a spreadsheet, (laughs) but you know, he even told me who to contact um, from the military that were friends and colleagues of his that would help me with that stuff. Because I mean, yeah, I grew up military, but I didn't serve. So I only know so much. And, you know, I mean, and, you know, one of the gentlemen, uh, George White, he was also a general that worked with my father And he was the person that even before my father passed and I had a conversation with him, he said, Susan, make sure that on the death certificate, it says agent orange related throat cancer and for, you know, service related death. He said, it's so important. He said, it's, he said, it's not so important for your father, but it's so important for the other veterans Um, because they track all that information. So it's, it's those things that, I mean, I would have never done that if somebody hadn't told me to do that. And because you just don't know what you don't know. And I think that's the, the, the thing that can be really difficult with this process. Yeah, it is. I, I had a friend whose husband had an Agent Orange, Agent Orange related uh, death. And as she had talked to me about it at the time. And I thought, gee, I'm glad she knew because yeah. you won't, wouldn't necessarily know what you need to do to make sure that you um, get everything done that needs to be done. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I admire so much the uh, how you have honored your, your dad with this book and how you're being able to honor him more through the pancakes <laughs> campaign. I just think that mm-hmm. that's a great thing. You know, we often think about, gee, I wish there was something that I could do to honor my loved one. And there is. There's always something. Yeah. And it's, it makes you feel better when you do. I know the work that I, I do with having had two husbands die, the, the work that I do that's related to that, I, I feel great about it. And I know that I'm helping people with it. And, and it's just really good to, to recognize that you can help yourself by helping other people with things related to the death of a loved one. I agree so much with that. I mean, I became a hospice volunteer about a year after my father passed. And it was just a way to give a living tribute to him. And also, I mean, hospice was, was great. I mean, I think that a lot of times 
it's one of those things you don't really understand until you're in there. Right. And so I mm-hmm. think a lot of times people say, Oh, hospice volunteer, that has to be so depressing hospice. Oh, you know, we call in hospice. They're dead in two days. No, that's not, <laughs> that's not how it works. So, I mean, you know, with hospice, it's for the whole family and it's a support system for the whole family. And, you know, and then they follow you for 13 months after the loss. So you can be, have support with, you know, um, just, you know, counselors and, and chaplains and people that can give you kind of some support that way. And I also think that, that helping others just, it gets you out of your head. And mm-hmm. I think that sometimes we can just focus so much on the negative and the sadness. And, you know, I've, I've never been a depressive person. I've been very fortunate that way, but I also was very similar to my father that, you know, if something's not going your way or you're having a bad day, it's, you know, move a muscle, change a thought. And so if you can go do something and you help others that it's, it's totally going to make your, your day so much better. Oh, it is. It is. I, I have a, a dear friend here in, in Maui where I live who is a hospice nurse. And she, she actually has gone on to be a nurse practitioner, but she hasn't given up her, her hospice work because she just loves it. She kind of does a little bit of everything. And I've learned so much from her just with, with her attitude and mm-hmm. the openness and the love and the support. And she did when my Ron was only on hospice for a week mm-hmm. and it was an amazing week. And I was so grateful that we had hospice because he got to have that week that was so beautiful. And she'd do things like have people come in to sing to him or dance for yeah. him or, you know, not just ordinary things. It wasn't just about getting the right meds because you, you yeah. think a lot of hospice related to comfort medications. I, yeah. I think that that's what people generally think about hospice, but it's so much more than that. Well, and it's also an education process. I mean, you know, so my brother is actually a hospice nurse now. He was an oncology nurse for years and years and years. And then um, after her father passed, he actually became a hospice nurse. And it does take a special kind of person. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is very compassionate. It is very loving. And I mean, as you know, I mean, it's just, um, there's a book called uh, Midwife for the Souls. I don't know if you've Mm, read that book. That's a beautiful book beautiful book. And, um, I had a colleague, um, because in my professional work with my expert witness work, I work on a lot of medical malpractice cases. So I work with a lot of doctors and nurses and I had a nurse that recommended that book to me because she knew that my father was, was being put on hospice. And it, it's a beautiful book because it's written by a hospice nurse that talks about the process of somebody passing and what the body goes through and what the mind goes through and things to look for. And um, I finished that book on the plane going back when um, two days before my father passed. Mm. And I was so grateful that I did because I knew exactly what he was passing. And I went and got my brother. I went and got my mother and I said, it's, it's, it's coming. It's time. And my brother said, yeah, he said, I just checked on him. And he said, it's getting close. And I mean, that was three 30 in the morning and he passed away at five 30 in the morning on the dot. Wow. And so, but it was just, I, I mean, there was something about that book that was just very comforting to me. And, but it, but it also, it makes death, I think a little less scary. And, and I don't know which way is right. I mean, I think you don't want your loved one to suffer, but I think when there is time, you have time to process. You know, I think, you know, in your circumstance where you're talking about your father, that had to leave such a huge 
massive wake behind because you didn't have time to process it. And so maybe you can reflect back and say, well, at least he didn't suffer, but, Mm. but everybody around suffered. So, I mean, I right, wrong and different. I just, I think that having that time, I mean, my, my father went on hospice and he passed away about five, six weeks later. And so we did get that time and we get, did get the, the chance to just kind of have some of those conversations that we needed to have and kind of go through the process. So, uh, but I, I highly recommend that book. It's, it's a very, very good one. If somebody's um, has a loved one that's getting ready to go on hospice or that is on hospice. It was midwife for the souls. Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, I will definitely look up, yeah. look that up and, and recommend it to people because people, they ask for help sometimes. It used to be, uh, that people didn't want to talk about it at all. And I, I find more, maybe it's because I'm open about talking about things death-related to people that they they ask me things now. And I, I really am, am grateful for the opportunity to talk to them because mm-hmm. a, a lot of times that's the hardest part is you feel like you're doing this thing all by yourself and you don't know yeah. what to ask, what to think, what to say, what to do. So thanks for that recommendation. That just sounds like a beautiful book. Yeah. Well, and I think sometimes people just don't, like you said, they don't, they don't know how to respond and they Mm -hmm. feel like they're going to say the wrong thing. And, and I, to be honest, I think that prior to losing my father, I was guilty of that. You know, somebody would say, oh, I lost, you know, oh, my mother passed away. And, you know, you immediately say, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, are you doing okay? You know, (laughs) no, you're not doing okay. (laughs) But, But you just, you don't know what to say. And I think after you're a part of that club, I mean, my, my outreach is so different, so different than it was prior to losing my father. And I think it's, it's, it's kind, it's gentle, it's open, it's opening that door because I'll get people that will have lost a, you know, a father or a spouse or something, and they'll reach out six months later because I felt safe and, and they felt comfort. And I think that's, that's just a real big blessing for me because it it allows me to do service. And that's what I always think about. Like, you know, sometimes it can be hard for us to ask help for help. Mm -hmm. And, but, you know, I, I always think about if I wouldn't do something for somebody else, then I won't ask for it. But if I would be willing, then then why not give somebody a gift of service and allow them to help? Because so many times people want to do something. They just don't know what, but if you said, Hey, you know what? I just, I have so many things to do. I have to go to the funeral home. I was like, I I need my dress picked up from the dry cleaner. And somebody would be like, let me pick up your dress. Okay, fine. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I mean, just simple things like that, that are everyday things that that you might not think you're making an impact, but you have no idea the, the help that you're providing, the support you're providing for the person that's lost somebody. That's so true. And and for the person who is dealing with a loss, for them to not say it's okay, I, you know, I, I'm, I don't need anything. It's if you can think of something to say to them, it helps you both. Yeah. And a lot of times people just won't do that. They don't, they don't want to ask for help and it, it helps so much. I found that one of the things that people said to me so often that, that was beginning to drive me crazy was how are you doing? You know, and I knew that their intentions were good at, at showing me that. And, and I, it dawned on me to just say, I'm doing the best that I can yeah. because 
I didn't have any. That, that was exactly what I was doing in every circumstance when they'd asked me that. But I was doing the best that I could at the moment. Yeah. But it's it's so much nicer if, if they say, hey, can I bring you dinner on Tuesday night? Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to the grocery store. Can I pick you something up while you're there? I'm there. That sort of thing just makes all the difference in the world. It's, yeah. it's amazing how much it does. Yeah. Well, and I think there's always a lot of fear around death, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like people people think, oh, I shouldn't show up to the house because I don't want to be intrusive. I want to give them their space. But I'll tell you, I mean, the, the day my father passed away and my, my brother and I and my sister-in-law, my mom were all there. And my, my brother and my mom and I were, were with him. And that day, I mean, we had people from the church that came over just to give us a hug and just, I mean, uh, just to, you know, say a prayer and, um, just, just show some love for us. Um, there was a couple that were very, very close friends of my parents, but they had moved, but they knew that my dad had passed and they, they drove up and brought dinner and just sat and visited. I mean, and that was just, just to have like your mind taken off of it a little bit, I think was really nice. And, you know, I always tell people like that if you could have children around, I know it sounds kind of funny, but it's just like those little kids and the toddlers and the babies, they bring so much joy. My niece was a year old when my dad passed away and she helped so much. I mean, even during like his final days where it was so much stress with the caregiving and the exhaustion. I mean, I look at pictures from myself from three years ago and I look 10 years older than I am um, just because I was so exhausted. I was so exhausted, but that little girl, I mean, her blowing raspberries or just laughing or just, you know, getting into stuff. I mean, she just made you just appreciate the love and the light. And, you know, I think after, after my dad passed, I mean, it, it does give you a different perspective. I think that you spend time with people you really want to spend time with. You realize how precious life is and you don't just go through the motions to show up for something that you really don't want to even be a part of. Um, but you feel like you have to do it to be polite. You just kind of make the exit. So that's one of the things that, that is changed in me. And I've also, I, I tell people I love them more. I mean, every single one of my, I have a real, you know, tight knit circle. And every time that I'm leaving or they're leaving, we tell each other, we love them, you know, love each other on the phone in person. And it's just because you never know. I mean, life can just change in a blink of an eye. And so it, if you didn't have the opportunity to, and you, or you had the opportunity and you missed it, I think you'd regret it. So that's for sure. And, and it's so, so important. I, my son lives with me now and we were talking about that the other day that it's so cool that it at this point that we tell our friends that we love them and they tell us that and I I didn't experience that through most of my life yeah and I think it's it's through um dealing with the the deaths that I've, I've realized the value of that and I know I like it when people tell me that and so I I freely say it now to other people yeah. and I think by me saying it they feel more free about saying it too yeah. and it just makes the world a better place yeah. it, it yeah. really does I agree I agree well, this has been such a, a wonderful talk. Uh, I would like everybody to have some pancakes for Roger. <laughs> I'd appreciate it. <laughs> that would be great. And, and uh, send 
pictures in in February. I, I think that that's great too. And and the book is just wonderful. It's just full of so much sage advice on on so many different topics. Each time I, I read the, the chapters are very short, and each time I read one, I go, "Oh wow!" You know, <laughs> and things that that you don't necessarily think about, but you took the time to write down, and it's it's just it's a wonderful book, really Thank really you. delightful book. So I, I hope. Everybody will read it too. I think that's just yeah. great. I mean, I think with with a lot of things, I mean, we, we all have good advice that we've been mm-hmm. given along the way. It's just like if we choose to remember, because, you know, the book's separated into four different sections. So there's a section on, you know, self, love, family, and career. And so kind of the four major pillars, at least in my life. And, um, and so some of the things are from my dad and some of the things are from other mentors that I've gotten. And that's one of the things that I realized is, I've been fortunate to have really great mentors in my life, but I realized that not everybody does. And so that's why, you know, somebody told me one time, one of my mentors told me, if you get a good, good piece of advice, it is your duty to pass that along to somebody else, because if it impacted you and it helped you, then you need to share it with somebody else. So that's kind of what, you know, I wanted to do with this book. And, you know, I kind of wrote it to, you know, maybe the Susan Combs of, of 20 years ago you know, to, to remember some things. And, uh, you know, and I think about my nieces and, and what they're going and going to be doing. And I have also had a lot of um, veterans that have reached out to me and other men that have said, I'm using this as the guide to raise a strong daughter. And oh, I'll tell cool. you, nothing just does my heart better than hearing. I mean, I had a veteran that was also um, a member of the Purple Foxes. That was my, my father's unit. And um, in the Marine Corps, and he bought it for six veterans that all had their first child this past year. Wow. And so he said, I'm sending it to them. So I think that's pretty cool, too. That's awesome. Yeah. It, it's so important. A, a lot of times we just don't take the time to think about what messages we, we can share, what messages that we can pass on. I know one of the first books that I remember reading that I thought was significant like that was called The Last Lecture. And it was written by a college professor who found that he wasn't that old, but he was terminally ill. And so he he wanted his kids to know him in a way that they were going to not get the chance to as they were growing up. So he he wrote everything in that that last lecture in this book to wow. be sure that they they knew what was important. Uh, for them. Yeah, it, it really is beautiful. And I, I encourage people to, to write like that. I'm, I'm a writer. I've taught writing at the university level for many years. And so it was kind of natural for me to end up writing a book about this. But I also spend a lot of time coaching people with, with the importance of writing and telling their story and, and leaving their story so that people will remember. There's There's so many things about like my grandparents that I just, I didn't know. And I would love to have known. I found one thing that happened with me was my grandmother died the week we moved into a a different house that was on the property of a company that my dad had just treated our house for. And it was a very traumatic time. And so mom just got all of her furniture and, and possessions and stuff and put it in the garage and we didn't go into it for years. And we, when I was uh, getting married, she said, you know what? I think I still have the little uh, ceramic bride and groom that we had for the top of our wedding cake. Let's go see if we can find it. So wow. I thought, cool. So we went out, we started digging through these things that we hadn't been through 
since wow. grandma died. And one of the things that we found was this box of love letters. Yeah. It was beautiful. They, that handwriting that they had back yeah. in those days was just gorgeous. And they were tied with ribbons and they, they were so beautiful. And I found out a lot about my grandmother that I didn't know. I didn't realize I had kind of heard, but I hadn't really put it together that she had been married before she'd married, been married to my grandfather, but I knew nothing about that, that marriage. And it turned out that they, they lived in a, in a farming area and her husband worked about 25 miles away from where they lived. So they'd be, he'd be gone all week. And they'd only get to be together on weekends. So every day they would write each other these these oh, gorgeous letters. And great. one day he got sick at work. And so they put him on the train to send him to the hospital because there wasn't a hospital anywhere nearby. And he, he died on the way to the hospital of meningitis. Oh, gosh. And I, I didn't know all this. And it yeah. gave me such a totally different image of my grandmother and yes. who she was and what she'd been through. And I thought, boy, I wish I would have known about this so that she could have told me the stories. And those love letters were so gorgeous. And yes. I knew that she had a very special part of her life that I never knew about. Yes. So any anytime we can share things that, that are, are lessons for the people that come after us. Yeah. Or people in our families, or they don't even have to be related. If there's something yeah. that you can share that, that helps other people, it's it's such a, a beautiful gift. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So anyway, that was a big, long story about that. It just popped into my <laughs> That's mind. That's great, though. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it just shows the value of, of uh, talking and of writing things down and, and don't wait till another day to have a conversation because you, you don't know when you're not going to be able to do that. Absolutely. Yeah, very true. So true. Well, this conversation was absolutely lovely and I'm sure it's going to uh, reach a lot of people. And I, I think there's going to be a lot of smiles involved yeah. and also compassion. It's, it, this was a very compassionate conversation. So thank you so much for coming and, and sharing your time with us and, and your book. And you're just making the world a better place by what you're doing. And I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Emily. I appreciate your time too. And for our listeners, we'll see you again next week and have, have more wonderful things to share with you to help you on your way. Aloha. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode 